We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. It's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code Dace. Friends, Steve Dace here. And if you're following the news, sometimes it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. With what's likely coming for our country, there's one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis, job loss, or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get a four-week emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888 or online at preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller. 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, it is our final week here on Salem. Heading over to CRTV beginning on Monday, February the 27th. Don't miss a single episode. Promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E. If you subscribe at CRTV today and don't just get our new show, but uh, everything done each day by Mark Stein, Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Stephen Crowder as well. Coming up next hour, we're talking theology the entire hour. That's right. It's the last week here on Salem, so let's just violate all of our cardinal rules. We're going to let it all hang out. You don't want to miss that coming up a little bit later on. Yes, guys, it is Valentine's Day. I understand it's an annoying merciless cash grab of obvious contrived mercantilism. Nonetheless, there are people you care about who care about it. So do it right anyway. End of public service announcement. Oh, and also something else I learned this year, because this is the first time in several years I didn't get the Pro Flowers promo discount as an endorser. I just did their ads, mm-hmm. and they didn't give me the free the free uh, gift card. Oh. So I actually had to buy a Valentine's gift myself for like the first time in like seven years. I figured out, though, that the flowers are a lot cheaper, guys, if you ordered them a week ago. I just, re- I just realized this. Right? Oh boy. I mean, yesterday afternoon, I decided, you know what? Uh, little Zoe's having a tough time, hurt her knee. Her brother and sister have birthdays around Valentine's, and it's her favorite holiday, so she kind of left, feels left out. So I already took care of her mom last week when I didn't get the, uh, the freebie from uh, Pro Flowers this year. So I stopped off at the uh, florist. To get Zoe, just a little pink rose, just a you know, a little uh, a trinket. The line 
was incredible, first of, first of all. And then they wanted to charge me $5 for one rose. When a dozen of those roses, when I ordered them for her mom last week, were, were $20. Okay? So, guys... Capitalism, baby. Yes. It's a lot cheaper, guys, if you don't wait to the last minute. All right? Just end of the public service announcement. If you screwed it up this year, there's always next year. Well... There may not be for you, uh, actually, if you screwed it up next year. <laughs> so there you go. All right, so this story was breaking last night just as we were wrapping things up. And it's almost like they were listening to us over at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. <clears throat> Pardon me. And one of the things we were pointing out about to General Flynn is he had to go. And I pointed out on the show last night, I just thought it was disgraceful that he was not just do the honorable thing. You are a soldier, sir. You have compromised the integrity of the mission. Resign. Don't force your own president four weeks into his administration to fire his national security advisor. It's a bad look. Well, apparently somebody was listening because at about 1130 Eastern last night, he tendered his resignation. So we're going to lead off with this today. I'm going to bring up a couple of pieces of analysis. One that um, is, is verbatim what I think. So it saved me from writing a column on one hand. I know that means I've got to come up with another one now that I think about that. So maybe it wasn't that great of a deal after all. Because <laughs> I don't get to say to conservative view, well, Ben Shapiro already thought of that, so I'm not writing a, my next column. No, I still have a deadline, so I guess that means I'll have to come up with something else now. We're going to save the one that I actually agree with. And I want to start, because I'm not, we're not, I'm, I'm not Generation Snowflake. I'm going to start with the one I don't like. And the reason I don't like it is I can't argue against it. I don't want it to be true. All right, so I, I don't want it to be true, so I want us to confront this up front. This is the analysis of Leon Wolf, who I, I used to uh, know when he ran Red State as part of the Salem uh, Empire, and he's now at The Blaze. He's their chief editor over there. This is his analysis of a tweet storm that he put out earlier today on General Flynn. He begins by noting that many, including conservatives, have been sounding the alarm about General Flynn and his ties to Russia for well over a year now. And that is true. Uh, He also says uh, the fact that a man with such open ties to the Kremlin was in Trump's inner circle has always been a huge open public concern. I agree with that. It has. The problem is that a lot of the people that were initiating the concern were Democrats who, when Obama appointed Flynn, not once, but twice, didn't seem to care then. And so a lot of us thought maybe it's not a, a lot of people thought it's not it can't be a big deal because you only think it's a big deal now because the Republicans appointing him. See, this is where we get caught into that. We all do this. We get caught into this binary choice world. Um, and we have to be careful uh, not to allow that to affect what is or is not actually true. Um, he says it's impossible, therefore. That Trump was unaware of this controversy. And that's true. It is impossible that he was unaware. This was discussed all last year uh, during the campaign. This part is where I'm uncomfortable. Because I don't like where it leads, and I can't argue against it at the same time. Leon writes, the controversy was, in fact, the reason that Trump did not even attempt to nominate Flynn to any post requiring Senate confirmation. That may be true. We don't know that. Okay? Is it possible that is true? Yes. It is. And if it is, 
that's problematic. He goes on to say the fact that Flynn gets booted for questionable contacts with the Russian government is not just about Flynn screwing up. He says it's ultimately about Trump ignoring the virtually unanimous testimony of every informed person about what sort of man Flynn was. And then he had the gall to act surprised when everyone turned out to be correct and tried to act like he couldn't see it coming. And, he's, and, and this is the part I don't like. Well, there's many parts of this I don't like because I can't argue against it and it's uncomfortable. That the main criteria Trump uses to judge people is the extent by which they will flatter him. And this is going to continue to be a problem because there's more Mike Flynn types. I mean, guys, our Secretary of State is an official friend of Russia. He was given an award by Putin himself. Leon says, I know none of Trump's supporters wanted to listen to this before the election, so listen now and get ready. There's more of this where this came from. There are dire national consequences when a president has no ability to separate fact from obvious horsepucky, and we are about to reap them. That's Leon Wolf, who's no liberal, over at the blaze. This is where you two come in now and tell me he's blowing this way out of proportion. Because I didn't like the way my skin crawled when I read this earlier today. No, I'm all in on that. I mean, this, this is what, in my estimation, was baked into the cake of the Trump presidency on some level. This is who Donald Trump is. And the hope was that there were just too many people. Actually, crazy enough, in some ways, the institutionalized bureaucracy of Washington, D.C., as much as we loathe that, in some ways, was it would just be so thick. And enough, you mentioned earlier, uh, enough uh, intelligent people are in Washington, D.C., uh, that the brakes would be applied on some level. You just you just can't go one man show as president of the United States. I, I hope that's still true. I, I hope that this is a, um, a although it's an ugly one and a severe one. I hope this is training wheels presidency. Ah, got this one figured out, guys. Sorry about that. It's new for all of us when we start this thing called president of the United States and we move on. But I, I don't think I don't think he's being remotely hyperbolic there. Aaron, he and his son, Flynn and his son, are known internet trolls. Alex Jones wannabes, they've posted all kinds Mm -hmm. of conspiracy stories about Obama flashing erections at White House employees, and uh, Marco Rubio goes to gay coke parties with foam heads. I mean, they they have literally posted this stuff, the whole Pizzagate thing. Um, His son was the one who stepped on over their messaging a week and a half ago when he called it a Muslim, congratulations on your Muslim ban. I mean, this is your national security advisor, for goodness sakes, man. What would our peers in our industry be saying if the shoe was on the other foot right now? They would be saying, um, he's anti-American. He or she is anti-American. Uh, they're uh, tra- traitorous and they're uh, committing treasons. Here's, 
here's the deal um with the trump russia phenomenon the trump putin phenomenon you could maybe take isolated events like trump saying nice things about vladimir putin or appointing a friend of russia and rex tillerson you could take events like that look at them in a vacuum and and say well the media is just spinning this to fit this narrative you know there's it's just kind of um it's just happenstance that these things kind of happen the more these things pile up, the more you look at them in a vacuum and say, you know, that's just something smells fishy here, the more the whole story just reeks. We'll get to more of that here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. For Patriots, the Steve Day Show. All right, here's another way to look at this. I, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with all of Leon's analysis, but I don't want to be the guy if I don't necessarily. I'm not, I, if I don't agree that I don't like it, we just ignore it. It's certainly it's a plausible it's a plausible view. I, I think it takes a couple of leaps, but. I don't think the, they're as big a leaps today as they might have seemed 72 hours ago. I think we would all at least agree on yeah, that, right? Look at this way. He could have mm-hmm. been harsher. He could have compared this, and rightly so, to Benghazi and Emailgate in terms of the initial sloppiness, the cavalier attitude about matters of national security. Absolutely. And we have seen Trump at times, through, as a candidate, struggle to surround himself with competent people. We just have. I mean, the ridiculous, incestuous harem of of fools that we saw yeah. pollute and infest yeah. cable television all of last year, for example. And especially on the issue, every time in the debates, like clockwork, this is the one topic when he would start talking about matters of uh, foreign policy, national security, he would just go on some crazed uh, rant, and you you would sign off the exact same way every time. I have no idea what, just what the man said. All right, here's Shapiro's analysis, which is pretty much exactly what I was going to write today, and now I don't have to, which means i got to come up with something else. Shapiro says this is not this is this won't answer questions about Trump's team uh, Trump team's ties to Russia. Um, this will reinvigorate the narrative that Putin helped WikiLeaks hack Democratic institutions in order to swing the election to Trump, with the knowledge that Trump would be far friendlier to Russia than Hillary. Uh, that is still speculation, but it'll ramp up higher than it did before Flynn's resignation. That's because Trump could have opted for a number of strategies here. He could have let Flynn apologize, then stuck by him. He could have simply said that he authorized Flynn to talk sanctions with Russian, with the Russians and dared Congress to do something about it. He would have, he could have fired Flynn. He chose, he, he, he chose to fire Flynn, which seems to suggest that Trump's trying to hide something rather than either owning it or defending Flynn. Here's the reality. Those of you in the uh, in the Trump cult who said that he should have stood by Flynn, I don't understand the idea that you want your cult leader to stand by someone who was dishonest with him and his other superior. I mean, if that's your opinion, you're not even a good cultist. That doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't. I, I don't understand that, and it's not it's not common, guys, for national security advisors to lie to their superiors in the White House about harmless banter they were having with their foreign peers. Okay, uh, that, this whole thing it, to me, it's you never admit wrong on anything. I get that to some extent, but it's it, offering up the media a scalp that is deserved that'll be forgotten in twenty four hours is a hell of a lot better than letting him feast on a cancer day after day after day after day. That's the thing I don't understand. Number two, Shapiro writes, Trump's administration is going to have serious leak trouble. 
The story only broke because nine sources told the Washington Post the Flynn conversation apparently covered sanctions. Trump's running into some serious opposition in the intelligence community. Remember, we talked about that after the election. That was a group. Remember when I said that is the group not to pick a fight with. They can just leak you to death and never have to come out of the shadows. Don't. And and I was half joking when I said the last time we had a president openly question and pick a fight with the intelligence community and ended up dead. Okay, that was JFK, guys. You know, so Trump likes his conspiracy theories. His buddy, uh, Roger, what's his face, wrote the uh, Kennedy conspiracy book a few years ago that LBJ had Kennedy killed. Okay, well, I mean, uh, this is not a you, you can't don't don't pick a fight with 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 when you're the straw man. Don't pick that fight. You you can't make the intelligence community your straw man. They operate in the shadows. You will be theirs. It's an unwinnable argument. Don't have it. And that's what Shapiro's alluding to, what we talked about a month and a half ago. Trump, uh, Shapiro says, at best, there's still some uh, confusion in the Trump administration. One of two things is true. Either Flynn fibbed to Pence and White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer and Trump himself, or Trump authorized Flynn to speak with the Russians, but didn't authorize Flynn to tell Pence and Spicer about it. Either is possible. Both suggest that this administration is plagued by a lack of internal cohesion. The way that Flynn went out is a good indicator. Kellyanne Conway said on national television that Flynn had Trump's confidence. Then within the hour, Spicer said something different. And then later in the evening, Flynn was gone. Number four, Democrats, as always, aren't interested in the truth. They're mostly interested in pillaring Trump. It's the same thing that happened under Barack Obama. Democrats would have defended him with alacrity. They didn't seem to care that U.N. Ambassador Susan Rice lied to the American people or that someone lied to her. They didn't seem to care that the president was happy to parlay with the Russians leading up to an election and reached out to the Iranians before he took office in 2008. They're just interested in targeting Trump. That is exactly right. Number five, I think these are all right, actually. Number five, the media are drooling. They have a scalp now. They're receiving links or leaks. They are reporting. They're not letting up. That's driving Republicans crazy because the media went nearly AWOL for eight years when Obama was in office. But that doesn't change reality. The media are going to continue to press their advantage, which means that Trump has to be squeaky clean. That's exactly right. I I don't know what you guys think. I agree with every single one of these points. So here's my advice that they also won't take. Petraeus is a disastrous pick as the successor. All right. You're gonna you're you're gonna hire the guy who went to prison for what Hillary was accused of. And the last time we saw him get into political activism was for an anti Second Amendment group in an election year. Hard pass. Hell to the no. This is still a great country. This is the greatest military that's ever been formed on the face of the earth. Somewhere, gentlemen, don't you think? Somewhere. There must be somewhere, somewhere, a general, a former ambassador, a former intelligence official who has solid integrity, who's never been to prison for giving pillow talk to a hooker. Who's never who, whose son isn't a Alex Jones wannabe who's not an official fraternal order friend of a hostile foreign government. Certainly, gentlemen, certainly, certainly somewhere such a homo sapien must exist 
somewhere within the vast bowels of the Pentagon, there must be one person who's freaking normal and loves America. Is there one? Hire him. See, there's the, the good news with Petraeus is that if he goes anywhere or does anything out of the ordinary, he's going to have to check in with his probation officer. So that's, you know, that's that's a plus that um, uh, what's-his-face nice. didn't have. But, I mean, what... That, that would be called faint praise for yes. those of you in America that weren't sure what exactly that of, was. A little bit of uh, accountability wouldn't be uh, too bad at this point. But what, I mean, what is, uh, what is, I, I don't understand. We, uh, you're right, absolutely right. Live in the United States of America. We still have a, uh, you know, the world's foremost military. Surely there's somewhere out there with the brains to be a national security advisor. But Petraeus, so you're you're replacing a guy who had inappropriate relations with Russia, with a guy who, like you said, all of the uh, baggage that he brings with him. What what is the thinking here? I don't I can't understand. It. I, I don't know why you just don't go higher. You know, here's what I here. Let's just make it Todd simpler. Call up General Mattis, get a name, and just hire that person. Is that hard? Is it hard? A guy that, would he get, 85 votes for Defense Department? Something like that? So why not just ask him for a referral list? Just give, give me a couple names. And let's hire that person, and they'll work with you, and I can watch the shows, go down to the Mar-a-Lago, show guys the nuclear football, and you guys run this joint. How hard is this, Todd, really? How hard is it? Well, when Reince Priebus is your chief of staff... It's hard. I keep thinking about how many conversations over the years have we had like this? How hard is it on any particular issue? This is status quo Republicanism, right? This isn't even Trumpism, right? I mean, the Russia obsession is. But in terms of the Keystone Cops nonsense, Reince Priebus also should go. He's an, uh, an utter failure at this point. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Never attack what you're not willing to kill. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. He's one of the top conservative uh, columnists and bloggers out there, and his uh, name is Matt Walsh from The Blaze, and he joins us now. And Matt, it's good to have you back here on the show, and I want to get your take on what we opened up with here in the opening two uh, salvos of the program tonight, and that is the loss of Mike Flynn, known conspiracy internet troll, Alex Jones, wannabe uh, provocateur, particularly really liked that whole fake news that Marco Rubio liked to do uh, gay hooker parties with foam heads. Uh, he's now gone uh, as our national security advisor, taking his Pizzagate son with him. Uh, there's a lot of bluster about this. Was it necessary? Did he lie to the White House or did he do what Trump told him to do? And, and Trump was just lying to everybody else in the White House. Your editor at The Blaze, Leon Wolf, has a pretty provocative uh, tweet storm about this uh, earlier today that we uh, shared at the top of the show tonight. What, what's your view of this, Matt? Do you think it's common for national security advisors to resign uh, because they were simply lying about benign uh, banter with uh, fellow peers in the uh, in the uh, NSA community uh, across the across the globe. Well, I don't think it's common. I've never heard of anything like this. But you know, it seems like every every other day with the Trump administration, there's another thing we've never heard anything like it happening. So, um, you know, 
based on what he was originally accused of doing, and there's a lot that there that we don't know, but just ba- just that alone, in my view, is, uh, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but in my view, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But when you add the lying on top of it, and then the way that the, again, chaotic and hectic way the White House has responded to it, it makes me feel like there must be something else going on there. It may, you know, it, there's got to be more to the story. Or at the very least, if there's not more to the story, uh, the White House has made it seem like there is more to the story. And I, and I think the average person is going to look at this and, and think, well, there must be, you know, there must be, it must be more than just, oh, he had a you know, somewhat casual conversation with a Russian ambassador a few weeks before he was going to be in the White House anyway. Uh, so that's, uh, I, I don't know, but it, it just, it, it seems to me that there's more going on. Here's the thing, as we look forward from this point on, Matt, in the vast bowels of the Pentagon, and the entire national security agency uh, in our in our defense department and all of the intelligence community. Is there not one person who is credible, who has a record, who hasn't gone to prison for what Hillary Clinton was accused of, who didn't betray their family, whose son isn't an Alex Jones wannabe that blows up your narratives on Twitter every other day? Uh, who's not a known fraternal order friend of the gangster leader of a hostile government, who just has credibility, has no drama, and can do the damn job. Does this person exist, Matt? Can they find him? Why don't they just simply call General Mattis and say, give us a couple names and we'll hire them? How hard can this be? I wouldn't think it would be that difficult. I would like to think that there are at least you know two or three people in the government that fit into that. I don't think there are very many, but there are, there got to be a few people that fit into the description you just described there. Uh, the trouble is, you know, what are that our priorities, you and I and most Americans, uh, at least conservatives, our priority is let's get someone in there who's competent and honest and has moral integrity. But is that Trump's priority? What I, I, and, and looking at the people he surrounded himself with, apart from at this point, and I think there are going to be a lot of more shakeups, quite a few more shakeups to come in the next few months but as it stands right now I, I can't really tell he hasn't surrounded himself exclusively with kooks and wackos and conspiracy theorists he's done some of that but then he's also got the Mike Pence's around him who are, who are honest and uh, and competent so right now it, it seems like he's got the devil and angel on his shoulder kind of thing and um, he's Trump I mean is going to settle in one way or another I think he's going to end up being surrounded completely with Mike Flynn types or more with Mike Pence pipes. I don't think he can have both around him in his inner circle and his top advisors. I don't think he can have both. It's just it's not a tenable situation. Uh, so I'm not sure. And, and I and, and I hope that ultimately he realizes that, you know, at least even for his own sake, that he needs to have people in there who can do the job and who aren't going to get him into trouble. And maybe that'll motivate him to go out and find more, you know, honest types of people. How damaging is this really? Is this the sort of thing... He becomes a footnote a month from now if they hire a credible replacement. Lesson learned, and we all move on. Yeah, I would think so. If, if like I said, it depends on which way Trump decides to go. How is he going to shape his, his White House? Has got his, his administration. The government is very unshapely at the moment, and it depends on how he decides to shape it. But this could be, as you say, a blip on the radar screen that nobody remembers or cares about. Or it could we could look at this as the beginning of just utter chaos in the White House that continues for for months ahead. So I'm not sure which way it's going to go.
When we come back, Matt posted something on Twitter over the weekend uh, that I think, given that today is Valentine's Day, is the exact right time to have this conversation on the air. And I can only imagine the reaction he got to this when he posted it. We'll, we'll share that with you and discuss it here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. them by their own petards. The Steve Day Show. So why do we like to have Matt Walsh on our show? Because here's the title of his last three entries at The Blaze. Apparently unborn babies are only human when they belong to Beyonce. Why America is a dangerous country for Christians. If you find it to be easy to be a Christian, you probably aren't one. That's why. So that I'm not the only person on this show America hates. Matt Walsh from The Place is here with us as well. So you posted something on Twitter I saw on Saturday in response to the release of the Fifty Shades of Grey sequel, Fifty Shades of Darker. And I want to make sure I got this right. You you, you tweeted, hey, uh, don't objectify me, signed women in line to watch the Fifty Shades of Grey sequel. Is that what you tweeted out? Yeah, there were a few. We got into a whole conversation about Fifty Shades, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was which started with me before that. I was just making the point that, and I'm not the first person to make this point, but it, it strikes me that uh, a, a vast number of the women who go to see Fifty Shades and went this past weekend are probably among the women who would say they're offended by, you know, Trump's vulgarity and sexism or anyone's vulgarity and sexism. Uh, so there appears to be a, 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 an inconsistency there, in my view. You think it, 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 maybe it's just an overall lack of self-awareness, Matt. Let, you know, let's not be bigoted here, right? But there, there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect there. How many women uh, picked up on what you were laying down, and how many people just thought you were a racist, misogynistic, homophobic bigot again? Well, we know we, we live. You take fifty shades out of it. Uh, we just in general, we live in a very silly culture. There are other words I could use to describe it, but silly also. Silly and kind of juvenile. So anytime you criticize any movie or, you know, character or any kind of fictional thing, uh, video game, you know, it doesn't matter. You're, you're always going to get the fans of that fictional story who take it way, way, way too personally. And next thing you know, you're getting like death threats because you said, I don't know, I don't like Star Wars. So it's not just, it's not just, there's a certain, it, uh, this juvenile nature of a lot of people in our culture, they take these things way too seriously. So it's not just Fifty Shades, but with Fifty Shades, you add on top of that with the sexual part of it, and, and women, particularly leftist women, I think, see this. They, they watch it, and they, they see it as sort of an act of sexual liberation. And so not only have you insulted their favorite fictional story, but you've also insulted them personally and their sexual independence. And so, yeah, I, I got it from uh, from all sides. Pretty good. Even I was kind of surprised. Some people jumped into the fray that I wasn't expecting, like J.K. Rowling, who I wasn't aware followed me on Twitter, but she she even had a comment about about my my tweets on the subject. Uh, so it was, it was sort of interesting. Yeah. What's their best argument? What's their best argument that this is not a glaring hypocrisy? Do they have one? I don't think they have any good arguments, but the one argument you see repeated over and over and over again, which misses the point so severely, 
is uh, well, two arguments. One is that it, this is it's it's fake, it's a fantasy, it's fictional, it's not the same thing. You know, when, when they complain about Trump, that's real, that's real life. This is a fantasy. But my response to that is, why? You know, it, it's it's yes, it's a fantasy. But you obviously find something appealing about it. Yeah, why, you know, why does this fantasy? Why is this fantasy alluring to you then? If you don't see any reality in it, what, what attracts you to right. it? Right, and and in all fairness, you know, people, it's the same thing. Take like the Saw movies or, or something like that, where it's where it's just it's just a torture porn, and the only reason you're watching it is there's no there's no plot. The only reason you're watching it is just to get all it's the only reason. And so the same question can be asked. What is it about you that you find that appealing, even if it is a fantasy? But why do you have that fantasy in your head? Um, so that's the response to that. And then, and then their, other, their other thing was, well, it's a matter of consent. And I, and I do think this is an interesting, and I, like, I haven't read Fifty Shades. I've seen the movies. So I'm not going to. My understanding is that the consent line is a little blurred because you have this multimillionaire man who's manipulated this poor, helpless woman into becoming a sex slave. So I would think that especially with all the emphasis on consent on college campuses and everything, I would think that that's, this might not be an example of consent. But I do think it's interesting that when you destroy all semblance of sexual morality, the only thing you have left, the only, you know, the only moral guideline left that guides our sex lives is consent. It's the only mm-hmm. thing left. You can do whatever you want as long as both partners agree to do it. And I think what we're learning is that that's not a, yeah, that's important. Consent is important, but that's just, you know, that just gets you in the door. I mean, there's so much more to sexual morality. And if that's all you got left, if that's the only sexual guide, the only moral guideline left that governs your sex life, I think after a while, even that gets blurred and goes away. We're going to spend a lot of time next hour on the show talking theology because I got in while you were discussing Fifty Shades. I was discussing uh, the nuances of progressivism and Christianity with uh, progressives uh, throughout the weekend on Twitter, including E.J. Dion at the Washington Post. And and what you're describing, the idea that uh, the body in and of itself is simply a tool. It, it, it carries no inherent value in and of itself. Therefore, it can be used and disposed of uh, by the consenting authority over the body uh, as they see fit. This is an old-fashioned Gnostic ideology. Uh, from This is an old, old heresy, the early days of Christianity. There's a separation between the body and the soul, and not in the way that a, the Christian viewpoint would see them as three distinct uh, you know, chambers of human existence to model after the Trinity itself, but that the body is just a shell. And therefore, you can engage in all forms of debauchery and things of that nature with it, as long as those that are doing so are consenting along those lines. That's okay. And you know where you see that play itself out, by the way? Uh, uh, in the uh, the Dan Brown books uh, about uh, the Bible conspiracies and things of that nature, this is just this is just old Gnosticism, Matt, and it, and it just goes to show there are there's nothing new under the sun. There's just new people under the sun who haven't heard it yet. This is progressivism is nothing new. These are the old heresies we've been confronting for thousands of years now. And as as I as I say all the time, you know, progressivism, liberalism, whatever you want to call it, is secular Satanism. It's the worship of self. It's the putting of self above above all else, above God, above you know family, above all other truth, and yeah, that's the oldest sin in the literally, literally the oldest sin in the book that goes back to the serpent and uh, and Adam and Eve in the garden, um, and so we're just we're just seeing it manifest itself in different ways. But I but I think the only thing that maybe is a little different about these days is that uh, you know we live in an entirely secular. Uh, culture and there and there's there's almost no religious influence anymore. 
And so I think we're seeing a lot of a lot of these old things that have existed uh, at other points in history. They're all coming together and converging all at once as a perfect storm. And I think that's what we're facing now. Matt Walsh from The Blaze. Always good to talk to you, my friend. We'll do it again. God bless. Happy right, Valentine's Day. Take care. We'll come back, have some reaction to what we just heard from Matt here in a moment. to Steve Dace. How conservatives can win again. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here to react to what we just uh, discussed with Matt Walsh, both a follow-up on Mike Flynn and his uh, departure. And even again today, uh, Kellyanne Conway came out and said that uh, Flynn resigned on his own. Uh, Sean Spicer came out an hour later and said that he had lost the trust of the president. (sighs) So on and on it goes. But uh, the reaction to the conversation Matt and I just had about the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon. And is there a glaring disconnect there when women say, don't objectify me, but then they line up uh, to go to a movie that depicts a woman being objectified uh is there a disconnect there or not or are we just guys and we are heteronormative and struck stricken with white privilege therefore we just don't understand it yeah we're just uh, continuing the patriarchy here now this this is just another indication that we are sick sick people and i don't mean sick as in ew that's disgusting although some of us are a little bit ew disgusting sick we are sick in a way that no amount of obamacare no amount of health care no amount of health insurance is going to fix us these types of stories where we usually thought about pornography as being just a guy's problem, and have no doubt it is. I mean, it is a an epidemic in this culture and Western cultures. But the fact that this is now seeping over, and it has, and these conversations have ha- been had for the last however many years that Fifty Shades of Grey has been uh, so popular, this is just another indication of how systemic the collapse of our culture is. I was... I was telling that uh, or something, a story similar to someone the other day, and uh, they said, yeah, it's almost like wherever humans are, human nature is, too. There is a continuity here, and it's peak emotionalism. I mean, hmm. It's just like with the, this is why you can be multiple uh, genders within a lifetime, too. You, there, there, nothing transcends other than you and your relationship with the moment. So there's like, hey, in this moment, in this movie, I feel empowered. In that moment, even though it might seem hypocritical to you, uh, I I also feel uh, empowered. And that's something you need to deal with, which is where the main contradiction comes up then. Then you aren't allowed to live by even those same rules as them. Because by definition, then your power should be just as genuine in fighting whatever her power is. That's where the real hypocrisy comes in. What you're describing, Todd, is what I was teaching my high school worldview class yesterday. The dominant worldview in America today is what I call functional atheism. It is the dominant worldview in America today. What do I mean by that? That that the majority of Americans, if not all of us at some point, because all of us fall short of the glory of God, but it's becoming a pandemic— The majoritarian view is that on a case-by-case basis, I decide what is right and wrong. 
I decide what part of God's plan for my life or what part of his instructions I will deploy, acknowledge, or engage in any given situation based on what gives me the maximum amount of pleasure and the least amount of pain. And that's a, that no matter, and, and, and I can walk out of that room after making those decisions and give great, powerful faith statements, but in the end, I'm a functional atheist. Hour two is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Come on. And we're back with hour two of the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network. Powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, it's our last week on Salem. Our last show here is on Friday. Then we're going to hand the reins off to former Congressman Joe Walsh. The good news for Joe is I'm sure he'll do a terrific job because the bar is set low. The bar is low for Joe. So I'm sure he's going to crush it. Uh, And then on February the 27th, we will return. Uh, like MacArthur, except not to the Philippines, uh, to the airwaves uh, via CRTV. And you'll be able to watch us every single day as well, where we will be just as mediocre on camera as off or your money back, we promise. CRTV.com. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now and use the promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, to get your subscription discount. And that won't just give you access to us, but uh, also uh, Mark Levin, uh, Mark Stein, Michelle Malkin, and Steven Crowder as well. That's coming up starting February the 27th. And because many of you are asking me this every day, and I appreciate that because it means you want to hold on to the show, you want to continue to be a part of our show. And we appreciate it. We are going to have, guys. I know CRTV is saying that's not available. It's not available right now. I, I'm telling you, they are working on an audio version of this show. Just had this conversation again uh, the, yesterday, the day before. However, this might shock you, but CRTV is being, stay with me now, conservative about promising something we are not sure yet we can deliver on day one. All right, so there will be an audio-only podcast version of the show. We just don't know for sure it will be there day one, February the 27th. That is not to say it will not be. We just don't know for sure that it will be, and we don't want to say something is going to be there if we don't know for sure, but there will be that option for all of you that are asking me that question. So don't miss out starting February the 27th. So since this is our last week on Salem, I thought, you know what the heck, let's just let it all hang out, guys. You know. Yeah, we've been so buttoned up before. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are even a couple of things and areas in the past. You know, I, in fact, I even, I, I, I was, uh, my hands were shaking a little bit on Friday when I uh, brought up the uh, LifeSite news feature on what's going on with uh uh, with Pope Francis, because I I know the 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 floodgates that get opened whenever uh, Todd gets twenty emails from uh, Protestants telling him he's not a Christian. I'll get two or three emails from Catholics telling me there's no salvation outside the church. The ratio's a little off, but the message is largely the same, right? And so here we go. But but when we in this case, and Todd and I talked about it before we went on the air. 
this is such a systemic problem uh, for all of Christendom that we thought it was worth addressing on the show beyond just the normal cavalcade of tribalism. And and by the way, let me just say this. There are legitimate debates and disputations between Catholics and Protestants. We're not trying to minimize that either, right? I mean, obviously, Todd has very strong views, as do I. Otherwise, we wouldn't be on the side of the debate that we are on, okay? Uh, so we're not trying to say that there aren't any legitimate debates or disagreements uh, between the two camps. But uh, unfortunately, those debates often don't occur in a way that uh, is is constructive uh, and instead devolves into tribalism Uh, and so that's why we are always hesitant about bringing these things up on the air but i'm going to do it for an entire hour tonight (laughs) (laughs) that's the spirit that's right you know what they drain the pool it's out of water i'm diving in head first that's right all right so i i did something this weekend i like have never done on twitter before and i did not intend to do this um, I ended up getting sucked into a theological debate. And you know how I feel about uh, guys debating theology on social media. All right. It's, uh, I, I mean, I, I think I'd rather have my cuticles removed forcibly and slowly. All right. Over the course of 12 hours. I mean, it is, it's painful. First of all, it's a hard to, even in the best of circumstances, and 140 characters or less, right? It's, it's a, it's a different, it's a difficult dialogue to maintain. I mean, these are only the most important existential questions of, uh, of, of the universe, of the cosmos. It's just spelling, dispensationalism, yes, half your letters. Exactly. Throwing a progressive sanctification, you're done. That's your tweet. <laughs> Without even knowing what those things even mean. All right. Um, but, uh, a strange thing happened to me, uh, over the weekend is somebody took a meme. Uh, Darlene Brooke is her name when I give her credit. She took a meme of something I posted on Facebook, and I had no rhyme or reason why I posted this. Uh, it's just something that, uh, you know, I'll see something sometimes, and I'll want to quickly respond to it. And we were actually getting ready to do Noah's birthday party on Friday night, and, uh, and or on Saturday night. And so, no, it was Friday night. It was Friday night. We were getting ready to do Noah's birthday party, because we actually taped the show Friday, because it was Noah's birthday. So I... Um, I just fired this off because I heard I saw something and I thought and, and I'll do that sometimes. Not every time you see me make a provocative statement or some meaning behind it. Sometimes the meaning is simply I saw something I want to react to and if I don't respond to it, it'll bother me the rest of the night. And so I just need to throw this out there to get it out of my head so my the space is clear and I can just go about my business. So I tweeted this out. Or I'm sorry, I put this on Facebook. There is no such thing as progressive Christianity. For if the first tenet of progressivism is true, that human beings are basically good, there is no need for Christianity. And I put that on Facebook, and this, uh, this, this gal, Darlene Brooke, was nice enough to turn it into a meme and put it, put it on Twitter. And I like what she did, because it also included a picture of Noah and I at his first Michigan game last September. So I, I retweeted it Saturday morning when I got up. And, you know, for, for me, Saturdays, especially if it's between August and April, it's about, you know, sports, college football or college basketball for me. It's kind of my getaway. So I was actually getting caught up on some basketball stuff. And E.J. Dion, who's a longtime liberal columnist for The Washington Post, tweeted back something in response to me about this. And it was a, it was a, it was a respectful disagreement. And it ended up um, sparking a conversation between EJ and I. 
and when and and uh, several other progressive types got involved as well, and we carried this conversation out. I mean, I just just didn't sit around on Twitter all day Saturday, but in between running errands or this or that, I saw somebody, and I'd res- I kind of kept this running dialogue on on the side going on all day long Saturday, and it was the most um, productive theological debate uh, that I've had. In a long time, probably the most productive one I've ever had on social media. And I just figured as long as people are going to be respectful, no matter how much they may disagree, let's keep this going because it is my favorite. To- it's my favorite topic. So it's kind of frustrating for me. Like right two of my favorite things. I, I, I don't trust other people or myself to do right now. One is I love playing basketball, but I'm at that age now where they told me I've got degenerative cartilage in my Achilles tendon. And so I just don't trust myself to, to play anymore. And I miss it that I'm just going to go up for a shot, come down and the next nine months of my life are going to suck. Cause that, that was my Achilles. Right. And so I don't play basketball anymore, even though I miss it terribly. And I, theology is my favorite subject. And, and so I don't trust myself on the basketball floor and I don't trust all of you when we talk theology. So I, I am, de- I, I'm right now like in a permanent state of Lent, denying myself things I greatly desire. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like I told you. <laughs> yes. All right. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep this going. I mean, this is, I mean, I mean, and I, I loved the skepticism. I loved the contrarianism because it was, it was respectful. And when I say, re- my, maybe my definition of respectful is not the same as everybody else's. Like I don't require require you to be nice to me. All right? I mean, I, I, mean I, I understand when people disagree, they're going to get passionate, they're going to get heated, okay? I mean, we based the jolly old elf, St. Saint Nic- Saint Nicholas, off a guy that got so mad at a heretic once he got up and clocked him right in the face, okay? So, um, uh, when I say respectful, I mean the, the trolling, the, the, the clear red herrings, the ad hominems, the demagoguery that it, that you think you're smart because you read this in the, in, in the, in the comment section, uh, from, uh, uh reasoned atheist 69 in the Vox comments section online. Okay. That's the crap I can't stand, which is almost always what this stuff devolves into. You know, but so so I, I was fine that people were even vehemently disagreeing with me. I, I, that's good. Bring it. Let's find out where we're really at. So I got to thinking about this over the weekend. You know what I wanted to do tonight is I'm going to take this conversation and we're going to bring as much of this on the air as we can, because it's a rare opportunity. We don't get too many chances nowadays to truly engage one another on the other side of the spectrum. Because everything is set up to be a confrontation. Because really, neither uh, too many people on either side really don't want substance. They want affirmation. And, and you really can't have an honest dispute without substance. If you just want affirmation, then when you get the two sides together, you know what they're going to do? They're just going to attack each other all the time. And attacking you mean, doesn't mean I vehemently disagree with your ideas. That's not what it means. It means I'm going to, de- it's gonna, I'm gonna dehumanize you to attack you. That's what it means. So we're going to have... A theological conversation this hour on the show, prompted by several progressives that I ran into on social media, and it's a chance for us to see where the other side is coming from, and then for us, for them, to see where we're coming from in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberty's Bat Signal, the Steve Day Show. All right, so let's let's begin with the initial reason I said this. Now, notice that I did not say 
There is no such thing as a Christian who's a progressive or a progressive who is a Christian. Notice I did not say that. And that is something people didn't understand at the beginning. I said there's no such thing as progressive Christianity, as an ideology, as a theology. Why? Because the ideologies and theologies are actually in conflict. Now, I think that the Bible makes it very clear that that God wants to save his people. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. God does not desire for anybody to perish. He did not even deny us his own son uh, when it came to uh, restoring the connection between heaven and earth, between us and him. Okay? Um, so I think it's possible that there's all kinds of people that have had sincere conversions in their lives, that have heard the gospel, had sincere conversions, but have never really been discipled never really been taught God's word, never be, really been immersed in a church and, and, and understood really what is a Christian worldview. What, what kind of people now aren't we to be, as St. Peter writes in one of, his, one of his epistles? They've never been taught this. And so, you know, one of the things that Peter says, I think, in that same epistle is, you know, we, they just stay on milk. They've never been fed solid food. And so I think there's all kinds of people that have aberrant ideologies, have um, uh, beliefs or values that may even run contrary to scriptural teaching on several levels, but no one's really discipled them, and so they don't know any better. But they themselves have had a sincere conversion. Understand the distinction I'm trying to draw? Absolutely. All right, and so that that's important to understand as we go down this road from the outset, okay? Um. And this is nothing new. You're doing what C.S. Lewis did in Mere Christianity. Exactly. Defining terms. Yes. I'm, I'm just copying people that are smarter than me. That's pretty much what this show is every night, guys. <laughs> All right. Just, just let the cat out of the bag. I mean, David Benham, a great, a good example of what I'm talking about. David Benham uh, posted this on Twitter over the weekend. The word Christian appears three times in the Bible, but disciple appears 267 times. And disciple is the root word of discipline. What does it mean to be disciplined? To live a life of, to live a consistency of. The theologian Eugene Peterson, uh, who wrote the message paraphrase of the Bible, defines it, it defines discipleship as long obedience in the same direction. That's what it means. All right, so there's multitudes, there's believers, and then there's disciples. Know what I'm saying? Okay? So I'm, I'm, if you have, if you vote progressive... I am not doubting that you have you may be a sincere Christian believer. What I am doubting is that you that you may not understand that what you claim to believe is actually counter to what you really believe. That's what I'm that's what I'm suggesting. For example, what exactly is progressivism? I had a woman get back to me and say, Christ within us restores us to divine, meaning that um, we, we are the old nature is given away. He puts his Holy Spirit in us, right? We have now communion with God. That's what I think she means by that, all right? At least that's what I hope she means by that. Because um, if that's not what she means, then she means something else. That's a total heresy. But I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt with this. Um and, and therefore, she says, we are progressing at that point after we become believers. We progressively get better. This is a conflation. What she's describing, if I give her the benefit of the doubt, what she's describing is pro- what's called progressive sanctification. Meaning, after we are saved, 
All right, after after Christ saves us from our sins, he our, the spirit of God comes and lives inside of believers so that they no longer have to wrestle with temptation the way they did before they were believers. But they have the power with we have the power within us to now say no. Or to not even desire certain things that we used to desire. Now, how does that look? Well, I'll tell you how it looked in my life. Certain things and aspects of my personality changed almost immediately. Certain other aspects of my personality changed over time. Certain aspects of my personality that were, and when I mean certain aspects, let me just redefine certain. Bad. Bad aspects, some bad aspects of my personality changed right away. Some other bad aspects of my personality changed over time. Some other bad aspects of my personality are changing now. Some other bad aspects of my personality do not want to go, but will be changed later because he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to the day of completion. Right? Okay, so that's what it means. Progressively, we are getting more sanctified. We are becoming holier. We are becoming more Christ-like. That's what it means. Progressively over time. When I'm ta- when I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about progressivism as an ideology. Progressivism as an ideology has to be defined. As an ideology, here's what it really is. I believe it is the heresy of this age. It says man is good, not sinful. God says no one is good but God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is why I said there's no such thing as progressive Christianity. This is why, because what's the next line? If man is basically good, there is no need for Christianity. If we are basically good, then we are not in need of a savior. We can save ourselves. That's what progressivism teaches. We can progressively just get better as a species. We progress on and on and on. We evolve. And to some extent we do, right? We have better technology than we used to have. We know things about the earth we didn't know hundreds of years ago. But is the human condition really that much better? Not really. We still do. Despite all that added extra knowledge, all that added extra enlightenment, we still practice child sacrifice like a bunch of cave-dwelling troglodyte barbarians did thousands of years ago. We still do it. We just drive down to the Planned Parenthood clinic and do it. We're taking a behavior of having sexual intercourse with a human trash disposal of the same gender that previous, the previous era said that is untawdry, or that is totally tawdry, it's unsanitary, it's barbaric, and did away with it. And now we are progressing to going back to reinstituting it again. We're not any better. We're not any better. As a species, the same thing afflicts us. We're bad. We're broken. We're sinners. We're fallen. Progressivism denies this. So if 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 I've not if 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 I'm not able if, if if I'm not unable to keep God's law on my own, then then um or if I am if I'm not unable to keep God's law on my own, why do I need a savior then? Answer is I don't. I can save myself. If I can keep God's law on my own, I don't need Jesus at the cross. And if I don't have Jesus at the cross, I don't have Christianity. St. Paul makes it very clear. If Christ has not been raised, your teaching is in vain and you're all still dead in your sins. Raised from what? The cross. The grave. 
Did he walk out of the tomb? Well, how did he get in the tomb? Had to go to the cross. That's Christianity right there. If those things don't historically happen, all the creeds, everything else is out the window. All right? Progressivism says that stuff's not necessary. You can save yourself. So right away, it's in, it's in fundamental conflict with Christianity. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. You cannot stop him. You can only hope to contain him. This is Steve Dace. All right, so let's continue this Twitter theology conversation. Here's a reply I got from a gentleman named Ben Fulton who told me, hey, don't tell me as a progressive what I'm allowed to believe. I told him that your statement in and of itself proves exactly my point. A a Christian doesn't look for his or her beliefs. They look for Christ. I mean, you you, you can be just Ben Fulton, okay? But Ben Fulton doesn't get to determine what Christianity means any more than Steve Dace does. You know who does? Christ. You know, if you want your own ideology, your own theology, you know, it's a free country, go start one. You know, go start your own church. You know, but you don't get to determine what the other guy's church is. I mean, especially when he, he bled and died for it. I think he's kind of got dibs, bro. You know, so, I mean, he determines what it is. So, if your immediate reaction to me drawing these distinctions is to assert your own independence, you're actually making my case for me. That, that means you're looking at this from a humanistic bent. That's progressivism's soul right there. You don't, you don't have the, you don't have those rights. It's not your beliefs. Jesus sits there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, about to be crucified. He knows the future, so he knows the pain, everything he's about to endure, and he doesn't sit there and pray for his will. He prays for God's will. Right? I mean, that's so. So you're, if that's your response to what I just said, then you have fallen into your own ideological trap. Actually. One of the things E.J. Dion sent to me, sent me two, uh, two things I want to respond to, specifically the columnist of the Washington Post, among the, the points him and I discussed. He, he said, hey, many progressive Christians are students of Reinhold Niebuhr uh, and his ideas on original sin, and he sent me a link to his book. And I'm aware of Mr. Niebuhr's work. Um, a great thinker. Uh, but he's not the Bible. The Bible is. And in the Bible, Jesus said, no one is good but God. So, uh, um, Reinhold is tremendous intellect. But again, I don't go to the church of Reinhold Niebuhr, guys. Neither do you. At least you shouldn't. We go to the church of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He makes it pretty clear, no one is good. No one. Do you know what no one means in Aramaic? When it's translated in the original Greek, do you know what it means? You know what it means? No one. That's what it means, guys. No one. No one is good but God. No one is good. Later on, uh, EJ responded to me with, well, Mr. Niebuhr's work is rooted in Scripture. I responded with EJ, nothing is more rooted in Scripture than the Scriptures themselves. What's more rooted in Scripture than that? I'm glad we are having a conversation about things that are rooted in Scripture. I will, I will be here all day for that conversation. So then tell me, what is more rooted in Scripture than the Scriptures themselves? And what do the Scriptures themselves say? 
None would choose him. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. No one, Jesus says, no one, no one, no one is good but God. To which somebody replied to me, how do you know Jesus said that? See, I don't even play these textual criticism games because these are always Mr. Smarty Pants and every modern science in the world has disproven these people ten times over. So I just throw it back in their face and say, how do you know they didn't say that? How do you know they didn't? And I never get a response back. You know, so if when you get into these conversations, don't even go down those rabbit trails. They're not even worth, they're not even worth following. All right. Uh, I mean, it's the old C.H. C.H. Spurgeon line. I would no more defend the Bible than I would defend a caged lion. Simply let the lion out of its cage. It will defend itself just fine, Aaron. Yeah, it was the serpent who said what? Did God really say? That's not to say that everybody who has something to say about the Bible is akin to the devil. But you're absolutely right. When you get her into the game of he said, she said, Niebuhr said, um, this uh, theologian or thinker said, uh, you can quickly get away from the essence of Scripture. And that's the most important thing, because as you said, Scripture, nothing is more rooted in Scripture than Scripture itself. See, where we're going to go next here is one of the reasons why I get on Protestants for getting on people like Todd. So right away, the challenge to me, you guys, all you Protestants, you guys, you all want to claim your sola scriptura. E.J. Dion from the Washington Post doesn't come at me with scripture. He comes at me with Reinhold Niebuhr. I have another gal who's a Methodist reverend who comes at me with something she claims Wesley believed, which is not true. Uh, she claimed that Wesley believed in, that Wesley didn't believe in original sin. That's actually not true. He did. He called it inherent sin. That we were all, that's what, that, that was the actual, that's what, what, those were the terms that John Wesley used. He did believe that. But again, I asked her, even if, even if you're right and Wesley didn't believe in original sin, John Wesley's not the Bible, guys. John Wesley's not the Bible. Be very careful, fellow Protestants, throwing around terms like papist. When you are quoting me, not sola scriptura, but sola John Wesley, sola Reinhold Niebuhr, sola... Any some human authority that tells me what I want to hear. Trust me, that whole double-edged sword thing about the scriptures is really true. You're listening to Steve Dace. For critical thinkers only, the Steve Day Show. So here's a tweet I received from a gal who said, There are more progressive Christians than compassionate conservatives. There's always a need for God. This is irrelevant partisan sentiment. Okay, I mean, you know what's funny is this is this is exactly what these folks get mad at people like Jerry Falwell Jr. or Ralph Reed for doing. All right, The gospel of the Republican Party. The gospel of political conservatism. That's what this meant. That, that's what this is, just from the other side of the aisle. Now, this, is, this, is, this is an irrelevant partisan sentiment. It's probably not even true, and it doesn't matter if it is. And who in the, who in the Sam Hill even calls themselves a compassionate conservatism, uh, conservative anymore after what Karl Rove did to that term? Nobody I know. It's an irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Not to mention Christianity's fidelity is not measured by numbers. Jesus leaves 99 behind to find one lost sheep. Christianity's fidelity is not measured by numbers. It's measured by fidelity, guys. All right, it's an irrelevant partisan sentiment. Um, I had a gentleman uh, who calls himself Decade Plan on Twitter said to me, 
Uh, how very sad to believe that you don't think human nature can be conditioned away from Darwinist tendencies, is what he said to me. To which I responded, how very sad to believe human nature is defined by Darwinist tendencies and not the Imago Dei. That's what's very sad. Because when you strip away the Imago Dei, you know what? Darwin is right. That's another reason why you can't, there's no such thing as progressive Christianity. You are promoting concepts that actually run anathema to your faith's fundamental teachings. And I understand why it's attractive. The idea of Jesus came to bring life and life abundantly. So let's make the world a better place. What is the Bible verse I quote at the end of every show, every night? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world may be saved. So I understand why we would take that to mean that our our charge here is social justice and to make the world a better place. But our but but the world can't be a better place unless we deal with what causes the injustice in and of itself. And what causes the injustice in and of itself is us. We are the injustice. We are broken. We are sinners. We cannot show God's image to the world in our sinful state. We we cannot do it. That is why we need a savior. That's why it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and not the social gospel. We are not capable, not capable of making this world a better place. And this is why you often see progressivism's best ideas actually turn out to be the worst thing that ever happened to the people they intended to help because they run contrary to human nature. They deny that man is sinful and say man is good. They say government is God and not God. They say the state should determine what is moral and just and not the church. And it won't matter how pure your motivations are. It won't matter how hard you try. And and what I, I really bristle when I hear my fellow conservatives say, everybody in government's dumb. There's a lot of really smart people there. MIT grads. People who got into colleges, man, that you couldn't even fill out the application for. All right? The reason why the welfare state doesn't work is not because government programs are inefficient run by feckless bureaucrats or idiots. Are there feckless bureaucrats or idiots? Yeah. You know where else you find feckless bureaucrats or idiots in pretty much every private industry too. Just as I don't understand liberals who think that when I go to work for government, I'm somehow not a sinner anymore. I don't understand conservatives who think that when I, when I walk out of government and become a private citizen working in corporate America, I'm not a sinner anymore. Nobody gets the benefit of the doubt ever because we're all bad. Okay. The reason government programs don't work is they cannot work. There is not a new crop of MIT grads, a new crop of Johns Hopkins grads that will suddenly crack the code and figure out how to make it happen because they are running contrary to the way God intended this world to work. You're asking government to do what it was not meant to do. And no scheme of man will stand against God. So no matter how hard you try, how much money you spend, what new crop of people you get with their ingenuity to run the process, it will fail. It's doomed to fail. You may not like that. It may be frustrating. There are many things I wish God would have given me that he has not. Sometimes it turned out later on that he knew better and I figured that out. There are plenty of times I don't believe, I, don't, I still don't know that he knew better. He didn't prove it to me. And you know what I just have to sit there and do? I have to have faith that a God that did not even spare me, his own son knows better than me in the end and that he has earned my trust. And so I will choose to trust him even when it doesn't make any sense to me.
But I can promise you, America, and I can promise you progressive, and I can promise you liberal, I can promise you conservative, I can promise you Christian, non-Christian, I can promise you, all of you are free to argue with God. I can also promise you, you are all going to lose. Because you're not God. He's going to win every time. So you have a choice, which is to humble yourself and acknowledge that. Or not. That's really the only choice you have. Really. That's it. So you can blog more, write more books. You can care more, love more. It won't work. It won't. Why you believe that invoking the name of God to use government for functions it was not intended. At the same time, I turn a blind eye to that same government that then wants to sue those nuns who are trying to help those poor people into providing abortions uh, and killing little children against their own vows. Why you think God would bless that? I've never understood that. It makes no sense to me. Do you ever stop and think that you might have more of an argument if you were the first people that were saying, why are we giving money to an organization like Planned Parenthood that demeans and the most innocent of us all, the little unborn child in the womb? But you don't do that. Who stands up there and fights those things? It's never the progressives. Why? Why? Have you ever wondered, progressive Christian, why? It's because... What Planned Parenthood does is the fruit of progressivism. That's why. You're working against your own stated value system. This is never going to work. Many times I had people tell me, what you said was dumb. And every time I asked them, give me the evidence for what I'm saying to be dumb. Do you know how many times I got that evidence back? Zero. Zero. Why? Because most of us just want to believe what we want to believe. And I will fashion and condition a worldview that fits into what I prefer to be true, whether it's actually true or not. How we feel here is irrelevant. What's true is, the Bible says we are made in God's image but tarnished by our sin. Either that is true or it's not. It's just that simple. Listening to Steve Dace. You'll have to pry this microphone from his cold, dead fingers. This is Steve Dace. See, the, the fact that the notion that human nature is not basically good is what set these people off tells you my argument is exactly correct. Why? Because it's not my argument. What did I tell you about an hour ago? All we do on this show every night is copy a lot of people who are a lot smarter than us and just put our own spin on it. That's what we do here, three hours a night, every night. All right. So I'm not the one telling you human nature is not basically good. Uh, the wisest being in the history of the cosmos is. And since he's 100% right, I'm just plagiarizing him. And you can tell by how how instantly um, disdainful so many people were of such a statement. This just goes to only reinforce its accuracy. For example, I want to close this hour with this. A woman named Dana Huell says, I guess it's easier to be a conservative if your understanding of human complexity is this infantile. Here's how I responded to her. What you call infantile, I call a merciful God loving us so much 
that he makes it simple for us to know him and be saved from ourselves. Let me put this in another, in an allegory. Say you have a child that you adore, a daughter, and she likes to play in traffic. And you're in the grocery store parking lot, putting the groceries away, and you say, honey, stay right here. Let daddy finish up, and then we'll get going. You go to pick up one bag, put it in the back of the trunk, turn around, she gone, off and wandering. Now, you could stay there, not want to impose on her freedom at all. Maybe present her several options. Turn right, turn left, go in the store, sit down. Give her 20 different things to do all at once to avoid getting harmed by an oncoming car. Because, you know, you don't want to like give her like this one narrowly uh, defined option that she may not prefer. So you give her like 20 or 25 of them, uh, this cornucopia of options, Who right? Just let her, exactly, and, just, and just let her choose. Meanwhile, a car comes by and splat. What a nice, tolerant father you are. Or you can be the dad who runs into the, who puts everything down, drops the groceries, doesn't care if the grocery cart flies down the, the aisle and you lose every, the hundred bucks you just spent inside the store because nothing is more important than that child. Nothing. She's made in your image. And you chase her down and you grab her by the back of that hoodie and make it, and yank it, yank her away from that car that's about to hit her. And you put, and you point to her and you make it very simple and say, young lady, don't ever play in traffic again or you're going to get hurt. Do exactly what I say. Who is the better father? Who is the better father? The one who made it simple or the one who made it complicated? Because I think it's the one who made it simple. It's not that this is infantile. It's just that you want to believe your own truth, Dana. That is the issue. Which you are free to do, Dana. But that is not Christianity. That is progressivism, which brings us full circle. There is no such thing as progressive Christianity. Thank you for proving my point, Dana, and the rest of you. You're listening to Steve Dace. About to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here with Hour 3 tonight on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget to let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up uh, later in this hour, the one word that changes everything for your mar- marriage. Yes, this is the contrived, pandering Valentine's Day interview we must do. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. 
Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? A question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Indeed it is. Time for three questions. Our producer Aaron gets to ask us any three things about any three things. And no, they can't be, what'd you get for my birthday? Because tonight is his birthday, of course. It is. Did you go down and get your driver's license? I did, yes. Yeah? Um, yeah, thanks for all the lessons, Dad. Did you merge onto the interstate for the first time? I was a little concerned about that. Uh, yeah, I got honked at, and then I uh, uh, jerked the steering wheel over. Because Remember, everybody it's, a, knows it's, that's a, it's the best. a yield, not a stop. It's, it's a yield. I know. That's that. It's, it, whenever there's something in your way, the best thing to do is to swerve. That's what, uh, that's what you taught me, so... <laughs> Um, I'm dealing with uh, some minor uh, injuries um, to my neck. So uh, other than that, I'm doing all right. Well, you are still free uh, to ask us any three questions you want, but even with that uh, whiplash, you're going to have to answer the same questions as well. Uh, Thank you, Steve. And as always, if you have a question you'd like to be considered for uh, inclusion on three questions, email Aaron at SteveDace.com, like Mark Hines did. And this is a bit of a lengthy uh, lead-up to the question, but I thought it's worth it, so stick with us here. Just before Thanksgiving, you all got into a conversation about millennials, typical spiel about how much they suck. And maybe this has been addressed on the show before, but I was curious, what is something the Dace crew would have to see to have their faith restored in the younger generation. Mark says he's 22, uh, married, no degree or kids, work full-time, no debt except for mortgage, and part of a Methodist church plant in the Twin Cities focusing on the local hardcore music scene. He also adds that uh, I'm his favorite. Steve is, would be a great pastor. Todd gets, doesn't get enough credit and reiterates that his, uh, his question is, anyway, it would take to get the day screw to crew to uh, breathe a sigh of relief with regards to millennials. I don't. You tell me, Aaron. I mean, I don't. If if my if the message I'm conveying is millennials suck in general, that is not my intention to convey that at all. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, and I think we've tried to make it very clear. Every generation has its uh, issues. Mm-hmm. Um, your generation, because of your age, many of the issues you have have been imposed upon you. Um, and and you're going to have to overcome uh, certain stigmas that you were taught aren't stigmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and, and and yeah, we have the snowflake phenomenon and all those other things that are funny. But there's plenty. I mean, my generation, gener- our generation X, Todd. You know, we created grunge, slackerism. You know, things of that nature. You know, so. Um, I, I would start there. I don't know that I've meant to convey that message, and if I have, I I, I apologize. That is not what I meant to say. Yeah, I'll, I'll go insert myself next year. I, I think um, I what Mark is trying to say, and he makes the case in his email as well, that he's not the typical or the stereotypical uh, sucky millennial, and he he has uh, dozens of friends. He says um, that are not that don't fit into the you know snowflake well, phenomenon. Hey, the, here's here's, so he, here, here's one piece of advice I would give mm-hmm. for every generation: you want to overcome the stigmas of your generation, live transgenerationally. And what I mean by that is base your life on the values that have proven over time and over the course of numerous generations to work and be what's best. Don't be a stereotype. Right? I mean, you you know who gets you know who bristles at at complaints about their generation? 
the people who live up, Todd, to the stereotypes of their generation, right? You know why I don't really get all upset about people going after slacker Gen Xers? Because I'm not a slacker, so I don't take offense to it. You know, if you're not a snowflake millennial, you know what you probably don't take offense at? References to snowflake millennials. So, I mean, uh, don't don't be the weather vane of your generation. Uh, instead, live uh, your life according to a set of values that have proven to work across generations. I would simply say that millennials often, because they are so often nuns, uh, as in no, no religion, uh, they confuse love, charity, outreach uh, with self-actualization. It, 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 it's always about, well, with millennials, they have an eye problem. Far, and we all do. We all have feet of clay. But since we're talking about millennials in particular, uh, the, 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 you almost always see that their their level of helping the other is really about them on some level. Now, I can't take that as a, totally across the board, but it is it's unique to this particular generation because of how they've been raised. And as Steve, you've pointed out many times in the past, that's on their parents. Nonetheless, that snowflake issue is a real thing. Yeah, and I think Mark is right that there there are more exceptions to what we think of as the snowflake rule because I, I mean, when I say snowflake, immediately my mind is transported to some uh, college campus, uh, college campus in every town USA. Uh, but I think he's right that there are probably more exceptions to the rules than a lot of people uh, to the stereotypical uh, millennial rule than a lot of people think. But I think you're absolutely right. Your analysis was spot on, Steve. That don't I mean don't take offense to the snowflake millennial. Um, uh, mantra if you're not one because you're not one Uh, question two what's an argument or disagreement that you had that turned out to be purely a case of talking past or misunderstanding the other person a lot of them a lot of them there it is just a lot of them I I could narrow it down my mind would explode uh, a lot of them, and it's why I need to be constantly reminded the good Lord gave you two ears and one mouth, okay? A lot of them. I guess uh, within very sensitive Christian circles, I the key to not doing this is is establishing what might be just assumed to be obvious terms, but you can't take those things for granted. I mean, if you're talking about with uh, progressive Christians, for example, you know, you got to say, okay, do we do we really agree on this thing called Christianity? Because I, knowing how to talk with one another, we need to talk with pagans different than we do self-proclaimed progressive Christians. It's an entirely different conversation starter. Yeah, I, um, I've I've had many, or I've had numerous conversations with people just like that, Todd. Where it's like we we assume we know what we each other. We assume that we have the same terms of argument or same are, are dealing with the same definitions of terms. But uh, that usually will get us into hot water. I think um, I, I had this uh, um, one of my bosses. Everybody was my boss at my uh, my, my previous place of employment. But he and I, in addition to uh, having a working relationship, where had you know I had a friendship as well, uh, and we would get into arguments just about everything. Uh, and, and a lot of the time, it was just because we had completely different upbringings, and so we thought we were coming from angles that uh, that we actually weren't coming from. And it's usually, like you said, Steve, it's usually a case of not uh, not listening instead of. Um, instead of saying too much. Uh, Question three, if you lived at the dawn of space colonization 
and cost wasn't an issue, but you would almost certainly never return to Earth, would you go or stay? You can bring your family with you. You'd have a good standard of living. DirecTV may or may not, Sunday Ticket may or may not exist on this planet. No. You had me until then. <laughs> until which part? Uh, until uh, Sunday Ticket may or may not be available. You had me until then. You know, you know, um, the Pilgrims didn't have DirecTV, Sunday Ticket. Uh, I'm not a Pilgrim. I'm glad, they, I'm glad they went and did this so that I can have it. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that's why con- that's, con- contribution to society. That's why I kill a turkey for them every fourth Thursday of November every year, in recognition of the fact that that because of them I now have the Sunday ticket. I I can't be more appreciative than that. I mean, I kill a bird in their honor, Todd. Yeah, this I have to tap out on this one. I love uh, I love NASA. I, I think when people uh, poo poo if it's worth spending on exploration, I I think that's nonsense. We should find out what's out there. But my goodness, colon the, the colonization aspect of it, of it is, I mean, call is me just after, call me after you've got it colonized. <laughs> I mean, I'm in after you've got it colonized. I'm so in. Green things up a bit. <laughs> yeah, yes, I am not your colonizer. Right, so uh, once you've got it colonized, I'm in. You know, I'm a, I'm a, listen, man. Even though I'm, a, I've been, I've had, a, I've had Direct TV for 17 years now. I'm a settler. Okay, <laughs> so, so, so once you've got it colonized, I'm there. So once it's okay? like that that barge in the robot movie where everybody's just riding around on their barca lounger. Yes. What was that? Um, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. That, that then you're in. Yeah, I'm in. Once you Wally. Once you get it. Once you've earthized it. And I can essentially have the same life I have here, but in a, in a different zero-G gravity. I'll be there. Yes. You're listening to Steve Dace. This show is dedicated to bacon every day. The Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? We talk about something else. Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We got to get some buzz going. So let's do that. We've got the nightly buzz. We go back, take a look at some of the stuff we missed from earlier in the show. Headlines that are trending, according to our producer, Aaron. According to what he has seen uh, on your social media. And yes, he's looking at it right now, in fact. Or what he eavesdropped at your water cooler at work earlier today. He is here with those headlines to which we will react with the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, First story last week, the Arizona House of Representatives passed a House concurrent memorial urging Congress to, quote, divide the Ninth Circuit into two separate circuits. They cited a long list of systemic flaws and alleged abuses that the court has visited on the people of the Grand Canyon State. Arizona's values, the law says, uh, or the uh, memorial says, Arizona's values and laws have long been under assault from assault from the appeals court that has overburdened, overturned far too often, and devoid of justice for many of its petitioners. That is HR 250, which would split uh, more conservative Western states from the far left-leaning coastal counterparts in order to free them from burdensome and undue influence of the Ninth Circuit Court. God bless your efforts. Um, The Constitution gives sweeping power to Congress uh, to check and balance the judiciary. 
of which it uses almost none. Uh, so having spent the last, what is it now, 2017, I've spent a good deal of my time in this movement the last eight years on this issue, probably on this issue more than any other other than the life issue. Uh, I have devoted more of my time speaking, writing, broadcasting, um, lobbying, etc. on the courts. And I'm at the point now, I'm not going to stop, but I've, I'm just changing, I'm changing now, Todd, to um, I'm, I'm just going to be like those guys in the Muppets up in the, in the balcony. I'm just going to sit back and watch how bad this train wreck has to get before they will finally do something. I mean, to me, it's almost a game now. It's almost a game. What could the courts do to us that would cause the other branch of government that oversees them to step in? And I'm I'm just sitting back now waiting to see what, if anything, that could possibly be. Uh, their efforts are led by all the right motivations and instincts, but their execution is off. We don't need an extra circuit court. We need fewer. Just get rid of it. Steve, you said the Constitution gives uh, sweeping powers to check and balance. Uh, the Constitution gives sweeping powers to create the ju- all every part of the judiciary except the Supreme Court. Right. That's ex- that's exactly right. And when the court was originally founded, uh, the Supreme Court was was placed essentially in a closet. Okay, so you are right. Uh, but to me now, I've I've you know when your favorite team finally has just a hapless effort, and they score a touchdown at the end. I'm not familiar with that. You might be, though. <laughs> and they score a touchdown at the end, and you give them the Bronx cheer. Yeah! Or when the refs finally give you a foul call after it's 8-0 fouls. Like, when you play a game at Fog Allen, they get the first eight fouls in every half when you play Gansas on the road, right? And you finally give them the Bronx cheer for giving you a call. I'm, I'm that way now with conservatives in the courts. Okay, I'm at, I've, I've lectured. I've begged. I've pilloried. I've pleaded. I have uh, mocked. I have uh, emaciated. I, I've done everything. I, there's, I, I've, I've, done, I've, I've, I've tried to invoke stigmata. There is nothing left for me to do now other than to just wait. To just, I'm at the point now, I'm going to wait for the garbage. I just want to see who scores the garbage time touchdown, and then I will give the Bronx cheer. That's where I'm at. I, just, I want to know how many more points they could score before we try to respond. At this rate, unfortunately, uh, I think we're all going to be dead uh, before we figure that out. Happy uh, Tuesday, everybody. Um, Cosmopolitan Magazine published an article on Monday titled, This is Why It's Better to Be Single According to Science. In it, writer Kate Story quotes University of California Santa Barbara psychologist Bella DiPaolo, a self-professed lifelong single person. DiPaolo claims that single people are more likely to be connected with their friends and families and value meaningful work more than married people. But DiPaolo provides no definition of meaningful work and fails to specify what being more connected to friends and family members looks like. So his science says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's what his science says? No, his science says that uh, the exact opposite. No, Steve, that's what science says. No, that's what his science is saying. You have less relationships with friends and family because you're more invested oh, in your yeah, marriage. Yeah, there you go. Science is simply saying, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's all science is saying. Um, you know what? Take your own advice. 
do the world a favor and take your own advice. That everybody at Cosmo, in fact, take your own advice. That's that's my that's my hot take. Take your own advice. And if that's your take, why are I bet people you in your spare time? Why are you fighting so hard for things like gay marriage and and transgender bathrooms? I mean, why fight over? Why, why fight for an institution that you don't think is worth your time? Right. Right. It's the same thing as I asked last week. Why do you work? Why do you why do, why do you toil so tirelessly to save to send waves of foreigners to a country you think is racist, misogynistic, homophobic? Why subject these poor people to this intolerant haven when they've already got bad enough where they're at as it is? I don't understand that either. I have some pity on uh, on psychologist Bella DePaulo. I mean, what? Um it's just sad that uh, that you have to come up with this type of research and uh, describe yourself as a uh, as a single person as a matter of uh, of research. Uh, we're going to talk about college women's basketball now, but there's a good reason, Steve. Uh, the number one ranked Connecticut Huskies beat the sixth ranked South Carolina Gamecocks sixty five to fifty five on Monday night for their NCAA record one hundredth consecutive win. They last lost a game on November 17th of 2014 when they fell to Stanford. This is an amazing program that Gino Ariema has put together. Uh, the only other NCAA program in any sport I know of that's won more games in a row. I think North Carolina women's soccer won 103 in a row. The, the, Look the, at you in women's soccer trivia. No, I just have been inundated with <laughs> this story in the sports I've been listening to for the last few days. And so let me give you a couple other t- nuggets. Yeah, the great John Wooden's 88-game winning streak at UCLA. This is Gina Oriema's fourth winning streak. Fourth. That is greater than that winning streak. In this current 100-game winning streak, UConn's, women, or UConn's women's team has played 27 ranked opponents before last night's win over sixth-ranked South Carolina. In 20, and they, they averaged marg- their average margin of victory in those games is 23 points per game. So you can make a you can make a case. This is amongst the most dominant streaks any we've ever seen in American team sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be up there with the Alabama college football streak that we're living through right now. Um, you know, the Bulls uh, under Michael Jordan. It, it would be up there, certainly, Todd. And there's a great um, interview with him about what, when you're winning every game by 30 points, how do you keep things intense? He said, you watch our games, our players never act like they're up by 30 points. They're diving for balls, and if they don't, they can go play in and, another and, program. And that's where a coach has to create that kind of atmosphere. You bet. doesn't happen organically. You're listening to Steve Dace. is a force of nature. One of the most powerful storms ever to hit land. The Steve Day Show. Indeed, it is now time for your obligatory Valentine's Day interview. But fellas, trust me, you will thank me for this later. Gary Thomas is the best-selling author of Sacred Marriage, sold over 700,000 copies. I think that's good. His new one is called Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. And we welcome him to the Steve Day Show tonight. How are you, Gary? Thank you, Steve, for having me. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Let's let's start with a simple question. Why is marriage so hard? It goes back to who we are. The subtitle of the book referred to before, Sacred Marriage, is what if God designed marriage to make us holy 
more than to make us happy. And the whole point is it's our sin that actually makes us so miserable. I was likely the most selfish and most self-absorbed 22-year-old who ever got married. And it's things that are, are character flaws that can make marriage so difficult. Our our self-absorption, our pride, the unrighteous faith, our anger, and our selfishness. And what I found is that I start to grow out of those things. It actually has a huge impact on our marriage. It, it's difficult for a man to be intimate with a woman if she's always critical or if she's materialistic and can never be pleased. It's difficult for a woman to be intimate with a man when he's always full of himself or always so angry at her. And so this whole notion about trying to grow in holiness, why it sounds so religious, can actually have a huge impact on our marriages, because it just frankly makes our marriages so much more pleasant. John Wesley once said, I think famously, no one is truly happy who isn't pursuing holy. I, I think holiness has gotten a bad reputation, because if you think about it, have you ever met a seriously addicted person who's really happy, mm-hmm. a serious angry person, or a seriously negative or critical person. It's not. It's our sins that make us so miserable. For what you're saying to be true, Gary, then marriage has to be something other than a, a social construct. There, there has to be something metaphysical, cosmic happening here. It, it's more, it, maybe even more than the perpetuation of the species, which is its primary naturalistic function, of course, the union of uh, two genders uh, and two beings to create a new being. But there has to be something else happening here for it to entail the things that you're talking about, right? Absolutely. I think Jesus gave us the recipe for the most fulfilling life, the life of least regrets, the life that at the end of our life will say, it was a good ride. You might say, I wish it could have been longer, I'd say, I wish it could have been easier, but it was a good ride. And that recipe is in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six thirty three, when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then there's this promise, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And we've already talked about seeking his righteousness, because when I seek his righteousness, I'm dying to the things that burn most marriages down, the anger, the impatience, the unkindness. And I'm building the qualities, gentleness, kindness, patience, that make a relationship, and particularly a marriage, enjoyable. But that first half, Steve, is just as important when you said, seek first the kingdom of God. Small lives can't build a big marriage. And I see a lot of marriages breaking down because we get bored with each other. And part of that just goes to the natural human condition. When you think about it, none of us are so fascinating that we can keep somebody enthralled for 50 or 60 years. We're just, we're just not. I mean, even if you're Jerry Seinfeld or Tina Fey, after a while, your spouse has heard your best lines. They know all your funny stories. They know every theological position and every political stance and all of that. It doesn't seem like there's that much to discover. But if you have two people who are seeking first God's kingdom. By that, they're, they're waking up and saying, well, what do you want us to do today? Who can we bless? Who can we encourage? Who can we serve? How have you uniquely given me, and what resources have you given so that I can help others come to know you a little bit more? Those couples are never bored. That spiritual purpose fills their relationship with meaning. It gives them a reason to pray for and with each other. It gives them a reason to to go about their day. The richest, most intimate, most satisfying marriages I know are marriages that are living for a cause outside of themselves. They're earnestly seeking God's kingdom together. That purpose gives our marriage passion. 
We're talking to Gary Thomas, best-selling author of Sacred Marriage, which sold over 700,000 copies. And he's back with the sequel. It is called Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. And when we come back, we're going to ask Gary, hey, how do I actually do this whole cherish thing? What does that look like? Stay tuned to find out. show powered by conservative review here on the salem radio network with your obligatory valentine's day interview and and yes if if this is prompting you to do something today fellas given the time of night we're doing this it's already too late so hopefully we're giving you a head start on next year gary thomas is here with us the book is called cherish the one word that changes everything for your marriage so when you talk about cherish being the key word we live in an age where it is uh, do I do I need uh, fifty shades of gray uh, to make my marriage work? Uh, do uh, you know? Do we have to be kinky? Do we have to be funky? Do we have to have an open relationship? Do I need a makeover? Do I need to lose weight? Um, all of those various things are what is being uh, you know bandied about as the cure or the antidote for the boredom factor that you're talking about. Why are you yeah. going against the grain there and using a word like cherish, and what does that even mean? Well, I believe the world's alternatives are always short-term. You talk about Fifty Shades of Grey. Psychologically, but I don't like to give prohibitions the Bible does so I'm not suggesting couples can't try to enjoy each other with ways that they enjoy if it's not specifically prohibited in Scripture. But when your sexual excitement comes from giving somebody pain, psychologically, to get the same kind of excitement the next time, it has to be increased. It has to be a little riskier. It has to be a little more dangerous. In the context of a lifelong marriage, when you're talking about being sexually intimate for 50 or 60 years, you can see that can get into really problematic territory for a while. And that's why a lot of those things are these short-term things that don't lead to long-term fulfillment. And the whole thing is also with infatuation. I mean, you go from the sexual to the emotional. 
infatuation by its very nature is passive. We talk about falling in love. We don't choose infatuation. It's just to choose us. But just as scary, it goes, and we can't get it back. We say we fall out of love. Well, I still love him. Some wives will say, I'm just not in love with him anymore. And in the sense of there's a passive acquiescence, well, it came, I don't know why. It left, I don't know why. And so our relationship is at the whim of the short-term strategy. What I love about Cherish is that it's an attitude, it's a passion, and it's a mindset that can be chosen, that can be cultivated, that can be practiced, and that can be built upon. It's not passive. It grows over time. One of the things I use in the book, Cherish, is the more I cherish my spouse, the more I cherish my spouse. It's something I can build. I can choose to cherish my spouse. And just think about it. It sounds so simple, but it's been really powerful in my own marriage. Life is just a whole lot more fun if you cherish the person you're married to. Not just tolerate, not just put up with, not just refuse to leave because the Bible says you're not supposed to. But you're with them because you cherish them. It just makes for a happier life. Your spouse is happier because they want to be cherished. And again, I I wrote the book because I believe it's something that we can choose, develop, and make happen. All right. I've got about two minutes here, so a two-part question to close this out. How do I cherish somebody I don't think cherishes me, number one? And and what would it even look like if I chose to go down that road, at least to get me started? How would you answer those questions? First, we have to accept that regardless of whether our spouse cherishes us, most of us promise to cherish our spouse when we got married. I promise to love and to cherish until death do us part. And for 20 years in my life, over 20 years in my life, I focused on loving my wife, serving her, being committed to her, hanging in there, persevering. But that speaks of love. I also promise to cherish her, to develop that mindset, to develop that heart. And that's what I don't believe I held to, that I was true to. And I think it's a common thing. There's a group of seven men, leaders in their church, and their pastor asked them, how many of your men, how many of your wives love you? All seven hands went up. And then he asked, how many of your wives like you? And every hand went down. And what that tells me is those wives knew how to love their husbands. They hadn't followed through on the promise to cherish their husbands. And so when we get back, I think we should talk about the difference, because I don't think that's a marriage that fulfills our promise. I don't think it's a marriage that satisfies us. And I don't think it's a marriage that honors God when we just focus on love and we fail to focus on cherish. Hmm. I've got a minute left here. One practical step to begin doing that I can do tomorrow. What would that be? Well, I talk about showcasing our spouse. That's when you start to celebrate your spouse by helping others see their excellence. Uh, There's an analogy in the ballet community that the ballet is woman, where the best male dancers realize that their job is to showcase the female, to support her, to turn her, to throw her and catch her in a way that she could do things because of him that she could never do on her own. When you cherish something, you want to show it off. Like a woman that just got engaged wants everybody to see her diamond ring. When a man buys a new car, if he's a car guy, he'll post pictures on Facebook. He wants others to come and see it. And so showcasing is an aspect of cherishing where you want others to see your spouse at their best. You you develop ways to show them off, to talk about them, to build them up so that others can see the beauty that you see. 
And when you see others celebrate your spouse, it makes you celebrate your spouse some more. So you're more eager to cherish them, which, again, is something that keeps building it up. So showcasing is a very practical thing. And if we get back, i tell you how I learned to showcase my spouse to myself, which has been very powerful in my life. Well, Gary, we will definitely have you back sometime in the future. This has been a fascinating conversation. The book is called Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. We appreciate you having uh, being a part of our show and hopefully have just as much success with this book as the last one, Gary. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Listening to Steve Dace. Everybody needs a hobby. So what's yours? Resurrection. He's bringing back the American way. It's Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up on a Tuesday night here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So what did we learn here this evening? Aaron, I'll begin with you. What did you learn? Going back to our conversation in hour two, this is, I'm just going to bottom, bottom line what, what, I, what I got out of that conversation. The moment you start to hyphenate Christianity with anything, anything anytime you put a word before Christianity, it ceases being Christian, ultimately. Progressive Christianity. There's, there's that is no, a great observation. There's no such thing as progressive Christianity. There's no such thing as a white Christian. There's no such thing as a black Christian. There's no th- such thing as uh, fill in the blank Christian, because we are. I, I, what does Galatians three twenty eight says? There's no neither uh, Jew no Jew no nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor free male. We are all one in Christ. And the moment we start or stop losing or start losing our identity in Christ and what He said in the Bible. That's when we start getting into theological soup, and it's not really theological soup. It's just bile from the pit of hell, because all of that, all that is, once we start qualifying our Christianity, it's just a reflection of whatever we want it to be, a reflection of our own sinful natures, sinful from the pit of hell. So as soon as you start hyphenating Christianity, it ceases being that. It's very well said. Very well said. Uh, and I was reminded that... Um there's a reason why we can do what we want to on this show. There's a reason why, you know, Steve, amongst other reasons, he brought me on is because, you know, that that Catholic voice, that Catholic audience, it's nothing to be uh, threatened by. So for the, the the one person who did immediately after our uh, our, our recent Pope talk t- send me the his treatise on, on why I'm uh, damned to hell, uh, thanks for that. But there is a better way. Uh, and Steve embodied that before, and I uh, appreciate when he does that, not because it's a defense of com- uh, Catholicism, but it's a defense of reason. We all have our little papacies, don't we? Hey, I believe uh, in Scripture as well, F- fully. If it, if it doesn't match with Scripture, 
throw it out. I just also have uh, tradition. I have the magisterium. Uh, I, I believe we can talk about those things being defended in Scripture as well. But it, it's absolute nonsense. Can we all be grown-ups to get past the things with Catholicism and Protestantism and what Scripture uh, does not mean to both of us? This is mere Christianity. We're on the same page, and if we have these silly fights, the nonsense wins. Oh, no, we can't. The nonsense has to win. It has to win. It, we, it, we have to live in a world where it, it, that it doesn't matter— our national security advisor likes to po- like to post uh, easily discredited conspiracy theories to complete total social fake news media trolls, and was too, and was close with a hostile foreign government because Democrats are not credible, and and we just switch it on the other foot. We just flip it one eighty, and Democrats only care about things they didn't care about before, and Republicans are hypocrites. Now this is this is the nonsense world we have to live in. Now we have no choice. We're all victims here. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.